Hello and welcome to episode 22 of season two of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and culture podcast. I'm Charlie and with me there's Billy, there's Rosa and there's Tom. Um, On this episode, we shall be going through the vanquishing of Tom's eternal nemesis, West Ham United, considering what that result means going forward for this ridiculous football club, Um, considering another London derby this weekend, a bit of welcome cup respite for Spurs women, and of course, doling out some tasty culture picks. But first, to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for Spurs 2, West Ham 0, a game universally dismissed by the press and telepundits as incredibly forgettable and incredibly dull, but an exceptionally valuable three points for Christian Stellini's Blue and White Army. Right, Billy? It was it was good. We're back on track. Everything's fine again. <laughs> yeah, man. We're somehow fourth as well. I mean, how has that happened? We've lost eight games this season and we're fourth. Like, what is going on? What is going on? I think whatever happens this season, there should definitely be an asterisk next to it. It's mad, isn't it? I was when without wanting to sort of go straight to to the this current week, well, the next weekend's nonsense with Chelsea. I was I was looking at some stats and we've conceded thirty five goals uh, in twenty three games, which is twenty goals more than Newcastle, uh, six more than West Ham, and five more than Everton. We've conceded five goals more than Everton. I mean. Of course, we've scored more goals, but it's just preposterous. Um, Tom, you were you were there live, as was Billy. Defensively, start with the, I guess, quite boring stuff. Defensively, we were a bit more solid, right? Albeit against an incredibly toothless looking and even more sort of conservatively set up West Ham. Yeah, I mean, the, that first half is 45 minutes. I'll never get back, isn't it? It was um, <laughs> like ridiculously boring. Um, both teams playing incredibly negatively. I mean, a, a West Ham supporting mate joked that they were playing nine at the back, um, which is about right. And we basically yeah. had eight, really, I guess. Yeah. So a bit like, more attacking. Yeah, us pl- like playing three centre-backs and two very defensive midfielders. And I get that kind of that Skip, Skip and Hoybier seemed to be the only option. I think there was talk that Saar had a bit of a knock or whatever. Hmm. Um so yeah, it's another clean sheet, but yeah, that first half was was incredibly, incredibly boring. But yeah, we beat them, and um, props to our fans because we rolled out a succession of um, amazing songs uh, through that second half about West Ham being shit. Um, <laughs> you are many different variations of you're going down. I didn't realise there was one to the tune of it's coming home to the tune of three lions. I hadn't heard that before. Um, simple but effective. Simple but effective. Two nil in your cup final is always nice as well, isn't it? There, you really, the second half was a lot of fun just being able to abuse West Ham fans, to be honest. So yeah, it was, yeah, good, good win, good three points, but yeah, West Ham were like fully atrocious. I was going to say, Rosa, how much should we feel, you know, newly empowered that Spurs aren't as bad as we feared this time last week? Or I suppose there's no downside to West Ham being atrocious because either way it's good news. But should this be, should our sort of enthusiasm be tempered somewhat by West Ham being that bad? Yeah, I'm going to start with the positive. Like last week I said (laughs) to Billy, um, I don't really care about losing to West Ham. Perhaps I should. And I, I sort of stand by that, but I'd forgotten how much fun it is beating them. That's the <laughs> thing, because they're so annoying and there's something about them that they've never quite been 
shit enough for us to completely just bat them away and pretend they don't exist, especially because they do behave as if every game they play against us is their cup final. And they obviously love it when they beat us. So it's just there's something, it's not like a thrill to beat them, is it? There's just something very sort of satisfying and like back in your box now, children, it's, about um, it. It's why I maintain that uh, relief is the greatest of all human emotions. And I feel yeah. like when you when you beat West Ham, you just get that sense of like, oh, phew. Yeah, like, don't have to worry nice. about that. That's yeah, nice. Don't think I feel about that relieved yeah. that for six months or whatever, I'm not going to have to worry about them. That's That's done. I've been kind of half joking um, with neutrals and for, like West Ham fans that uh, my only hopes for the season now are that a certain team doesn't win the league and that West Ham go down. Like I'm like, our season's done. All I need is West Ham to go down and anyone but them to win the league. But like as Billy said, suddenly we're fourth in the league again. So maybe I can actually take some enjoyment from my own team this season. Well, a, a friend of mine said to me today that whilst this on paper has been a dreadful, misery-filled season for Spurs, he was like, actually, if Arsenal did manage to chuck it away and West Ham went down and we did manage to somehow nick fourth, It'd be the potentially best <laughs> top five season of all time for Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> Extraordinary stuff, right, Bill? Yeah, man. And um, who knows, man? Still in the FA Cup as well. <clears throat> still in the yeah. FA Cup. Still half in the Champions League. You know, there's a lot to play for still, which is why I think um, this win was even bigger because we, we really needed it, man. We really, really needed it. And I think looking at our, our run of fixtures coming up as well, after Chelsea, I think we've got like four teams that are all like bottom bottom five, bottom six. I think we've got like um, a really favourable run after this. So... Yeah, if we if we really, if we just grow up a little bit, we'll be all right, I think. Also, we've discovered like two great things this weekend. Like I'm not super psyched about the performance. It felt like it wasn't great and West Ham were like bad enough that they left our two-man midfield in like acres of space at times, which I don't really feel like you should be able to do even by accident. But we now possibly have like our actual dream management team of Stellini and Ryan Mason. So that's a bonus <laughs> for everyone, but especially me. Um, and also something that everyone on this pod can love, two buccaneering wingbacks in Emerson Rao and Gentle Ben Davies. Like, Heard what a combination. Thought. Heard a thought. I mean... Your boy, your, your boy Ben um, was brilliant in mm-hmm. a position he hasn't played in in... How long? Two years. Like, yeah. Two years. At Let least, alone, yeah. You could argue he's never played as a left wing back um, as opposed to an actual left back. He was so, so good. It was bizarre, right? So obviously sat in the South Stand and the first half had been really boring. And then we kind of did come out all guns blazing in that second half, didn't we? Um, Richarlison should have really scored like with about a few minutes after the restart. Then Kane had that shot. But I was kind of, you know what it's like, you kind of, your concentration drifts or whatever. I was daydreaming or looking across the stadium and thinking about something else. And all of a sudden came to and bearing down on goal in front of me, in front of the South Stand, was <laughs> were Ben Davis and Royale. And Ben Davis was on the ball. And I was like, what the actual fuck? How has... I think I only saw the, the pass from Hoybier, um on Match of the Day too last night. I was like, how on earth are our two fullbacks who aren't exactly known for like 
scoring goals, the most kind of advanced players in this situation. And then fair play to them. They were both brilliant. Ben made a lovely little dinked pass. And Emerson's shot was cool as anything, wasn't it? I was going to say, like, the the composure that both of them showed, it was like, what, three touches between the two of them, all of which the highest quality. And also, where were the four? Like, I still feel like I've watched every angle of that goal and I still can't comprehend where any of the three forwards were when any of this was happening. Did they just, like, have a sit on the sidelines? <laughs> I have no idea what happened. Um, we should spend a minute on our the sort of two of the more maligned players this season really in 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 general Ben and, and our guy Emerson. Um Ben Davis's performance reminded me of remember when uh, Jan Vertonghen had to play left wing back against Dortmund in the Champions League and everyone was like, oh God, like Jan's lost his legs. He's never going to be able to get up and down. We've it's going to be awful. We've we sort of played wing backs and we hadn't been playing wing backs what like at all for ages. And he was obviously amazing. And I thought Davis's performance had shades of uh, of Jan there. Um, and he looked, he looked terrific. I mean, obviously Perisic is in a really bad run of form. Sess is injured. So I wonder if we might see a bit more of that. Um, Billy, did anyone else stand out for you? Um, I mean, in fact, what am I talking about? Talk me through Emerson Royale's performance, asking you about another player indeed. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've got to paraphrase the best ever awards acceptance speech of all time, which is, um, everybody wanted to know what I'd do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. So I feel like we've been um, championing this guy for so long. And I think like the story of like the Emerson redemption arc is like, it's, it's one we've seen similar kind of things with Sissoko. It's just like a guy who was down bad, he's getting booed. He literally got booed off the, the, the stadium like within, what, a couple of months ago, maybe a month ago. Um, he's worked really, really hard. He genuinely seems to care about the club. Um, he even put money into his own like redevelopment and his own personal development, room at a, a million pounds. Um, it's just a great story all around. Like, how can you not be buzzing for this story? It's just a, just proof that if you work hard at something, if you stick by it, um, even when things are bad, you're going to come good eventually. And I'm, I'm really, really happy for him. Because I, I think even if you took away the goal, um, which was a great goal, I think he was one of our better players again. And that's been the same the truth for the last few games, actually. Um, I don't really I don't really know if it's like a tactical thing, whether we're just asking him to do things that he's better at rather than asking him to do things which you know he can't. Um, but either way, he's just been brilliant for the last three or four games now. And um, I think maybe the Poro signing might have woken something in him a little bit. Um, but at the moment, the way that's going, it's hard to see how Poro's even going to get a look in for, like the, for the, the major games at the moment. You'd probably imagine he'll play against Sheffield United, maybe. But um, yeah, absolutely buzzing. But it's, you know, from, from where he was a month ago, two months ago, where he was getting booed off and booed on when he, you know, when he was brought on as a sub and stuff, I'm just really, really happy for him. I just think it's a really great story. Yeah, you mentioned Sissoko and the player that I was actually thinking of was Danny Rose. Sort of so, like maligned, like mocked. Much worse than that. Yeah. Do you remember when Poch is like, he signed him. Yeah, he yeah. signed him to like, um, it was like a five-year, something crazy, right? But it was like the first thing he did and everyone was just, and he ba- we basically drove him off social media, right? And he just never came back after that. And then, I've, you know, and then to come back from that to being basically one of our greatest ever fullbacks, I, you know, I'm not saying Emerson could reach those heights, but I'm also not not saying it. Because I think <laughs> what I really loved, man, is just the way he's been building on his performances as well. It's not just mm. like um, a good performance here, a good performance there. Because I think he was our best player against Milan as well. And it's the responsibility that he takes because 
I don't think Kulu had a great game against Milan. He was quite sloppy a lot of the time. And I felt like every time I looked up, Emerson was either kind of chasing down a sloppy Kulu pass or trying to like cover for Romero as well, who was also quite sloppy. And it's just that sort of all action, all responsibility attitude that I think is just so like we've we've got to cherish this guy, man. And I think I'm so pleased that like largely you, Billy, but we have also been championing him because it just it just shows, man, you just don't know. You don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm old enough to remember when uh, Emerson was getting booed and people were begging for him to be subbed off. <laughs> and I, but I just had to Google like when I the game that was a Preston game and I was in the stadium furious at everyone around me booing our own player. It was January 28th, like it was three weeks ago. And since then, he's had like a man of the match performance against Man City, arguably a man of the match performance yesterday. And Rose is right. He was excellent against Milan as well. Kulu was pretty dodgy. Rose, I just wanted to say as well, obviously, we'll probably get on to Stellini in a minute, but because Conte wasn't there and I, and I sit in the south in like in the corner in line with um, the bench, I was watching the, the dugout. Um, and Stellini, great. He's fucking active, just like Conte, right? He's in that box shouting at people, gesticulating like another mad Italian. Um, but also the assistants were all up and they were all sort of chatting to each other at different points in the game. And your man Mace was active as well. Mason was active and I loved at one point uh, someone was down injured. Was it, uh, it might have been Richarlison or maybe it was one of theirs. Anyway, someone was down injured and Mason was on the on the line chat in, in Royale's ear, Emerson's ear, um, giving him a talking to. And I just felt like maybe it's all down to Mason as well. You know, it's obviously down to Royale, but maybe Mason's had a hand in it. You never know. Mm. And maybe, I'm going to take that. I love it. Maybe <laughs> like, Ryan's had to take on more responsibilities, had to step up, you know, Stellini, I, I imagine. Said, Stellini said in the post-match conference, like he did say, single out Ryan Mason and like thank him specifically. So that was really nice. I thought. Oh, I feel like this is a belated Valentine for me. This is so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just going back to your original question about um, any other players. I thought, um, and it's been a sort of contentious topic of the last few games because we've seen like the positives and the negatives of it. Is I thought Romero was back to his sort of best, especially in the second half. He put in like three or four slide tackles that were amazing and he didn't get booked for any of them. Um, <clears throat> so that was, you know, I know it's been one of those sort of things that, you know, went start stemming from the Man City game where he got sent off for it. And then he, he got he got done in Milan and then he sort of came back from that with some... There was one, I know it's doing the rounds on Twitter at the moment, <clears throat> I think it was on Downs, the West Bay Downs, where he was sort of a slide tackle from behind that he, ju- you know, a lot of referees would probably have blown up for a foul, but he managed to get the ball and got away with it. So um, I thought he had a really good game and I thought he did a lot of cover, like sort of out of the defensive three that I thought Longley was quite poor. So I think we mm. really thought of, we needed it from Romero because um, West Ham can bully you at times, players like Antonio and Suchek and stuff, um, which Longley found out a little bit, but um, I thought Romero really stood up to it. He also could have scored just before half time as well. He had a really good header, didn't he? And mm. I, to be fair, I thought he started slow and I thought his body, la- I was kind of right behind him and I thought his body language wasn't great. But yeah, second half, he was really good, made a couple well, that, of technicals. Agreed, Longley, I mean, he's not not great, is he? And that is one of the things that you get in, when you sit in the south stand, like you just look up and Romero's just in the box. It's like, what are you doing up here? Like, it's so funny. Like, he has no kind of like defensive discipline whatsoever. He's just like all over the place, which is why. 
um, which is what I think we love about him, isn't it, really? That's his personality. And I think there's been a lot of chat about, you know, we wanted to stop sliding into these tackles and getting booked all the time. But I think we need it. I think it's part of his game. It's never going to go away. Um, mm. And I think we're all the better for it as well. You know, sometimes he will get sent off. But the amount of games where he's just sort of, you, you need that edge, especially in a derby like that, the West Ham game, you need that kind of edge. Um, and we saw it really work well against Haaland and it's done, done it again versus West Ham. Quick yeah, I don't mind that sort of edge. Sorry, Tom. I, um, no, I just I don't mind that sort of edge, and I, but I just I want it to be like committed. I just I like I was quite annoyed of him in the first half. I'll be honest. I was just a bit like, oh, I just don't. I feel like you. Maybe in my mind, I was like, oh, there's an international break coming up, and he just can't really be bothered anymore. And and I think he's been. Let's be honest, he's not been at his best all season, and even kind of after the World Cup, when I thought he would at least kind of give us something again. I don't really feel like he has, but I guess that's been true of most of the team. So maybe it's not fair to single him out, but I don't even like, I don't mind if, you know, if every so often he's just going to, you know, commit a sort of kamikaze tackle and horror tackle and get sent off. That doesn't really bother me, to be honest. I just want, I just want to feel like he really is committed anyway. And you're right, but like, I love, I love his kind of lack, complete lack of positional, like, Care really? He's just like I don't. It doesn't matter. I'll just I'll I'll go I go where I where I feel I want to be. So you just you have no idea at any time where he's going to be on the pitch, and that's like quite thrilling to be honest. I think what I want to see from him, and indeed pretty much all of them, perhaps maybe Kane, is just some fucking consistency. I'm just so bored of like the tone of our conversations every podcast, just being like up and down and everything's fine and everyone's switched on and happy. And then the next week it's, you know, they don't like their, I mean that, you know, the, the Leicester game was just extraordinary for lack of interest and lack of sort of bother that any of them seem to really show for 90 minutes. And, you know, yeah, it's great that they looked a bit more switched on second half against West Ham, but they have to now, you know, going into the Chelsea game particularly. It's a huge match that like we've not really turned up bar that City game the other week against any of the sort of big six um, fixtures. And it's just massive. And I think Romero needs to now put a run of like five or six games where he's not doing anything. You know, of course, we want him to be full-blooded and setting the tone with these challenges and stuff, but he just needs to be locked in, right? He just needs to be looking like he's actually concentrating, which in the San Siro particularly, it just did not look like he was that guy. Yeah, and I just want to say as well, I just think, um, to be honest, before the game, I, I, I got it wrong. I was, I was a bit gutted that Saar wasn't starting because I thought after how good he was in Milan, um, I thought he was owed a, another start and I was a little bit annoyed about Skip starting, but I thought Skip was excellent again. I think he had a bit of dodgy opening seven minutes where he got booked and gave the ball away a couple of times. But after that, I think the booking actually almost helped him um, because he just reined it in a little bit and was excellent. And and again, Hoybier, another player that you know we we speak a lot about on this podcast, but that pass was an outstanding pass. That, that it's not the first time he's done it this season either. Um, and I think m- myself and Rosa last week were talking about the wake of the Benton Clare injury, but we've seen two games since um, where we've been excellent in midfield. So mm. you know, I think maybe um, as awful as it is to lose, you know, one of our very very best players in Benton Clare, it looks like early days, but it looks like the guys are going to step up. Um, and there's some good depth there now because you can sort of rotate. So, you know, Hoybier will probably start almost every game that he's fit for, as he does. But, you know, there's two really good options there that we, we kind of hoped that we'd see. Um, and they've they've stepped up for both games so far. So, yeah, really, really happy with Skip in particular. 
Yeah, I wanted to shout out Skip as well because um, I was furious when he got booked in the eighth minute. Like to be a to be a defensive mid, <laughs> uh, defensive centre mid, and get booked in the eighth minute is far from ideal, is it? But um, just a homage to our beloved uh, Victor Wanyama. Let's be honest, who did that like pretty much every game. And it always <laughs> just like, sharpened the mind. Yeah, exactly. He needed that booking to focus him. I, I always thought Victor, and maybe maybe Skippy's the same. I thought Skippy grew into it. I mean, he does still does a few too many wink style, like fucking t- or Scott Parker style, like turns on the ball and then like passes back. But yeah, he grew into it and like considering his age and the lack of games he's played recently, he was really good. To have him and Sarah's options is is great. You're right. I think surely Pierre starts it as many games as he can. And I think um, when you play West Ham, the the times that we played him, even when we beat them last few seasons, Declan Rice has been amazing. He's he's always visibly markedly above the rest of their players. But I thought he was very, very average this week. Um, and I think that was because Skip and Hoybier did a job on him, basically, as shown mm. as frustration where he sort of had that outburst at um, Hoybier, which was very, very embarrassing. But, um, yeah, I think when you make a player like Declan Rice, who is, you know, an exceptionally good midfielder, look, look as bad as that, I think that's a, a sign of a good day's work. Um, the other player I wanted to touch on briefly, well, two players, really. Uh, Richarlison coming in for Sonny. Sonny, obviously, then coming off the bench, scoring his goal, looking really bright, but... What did we make of Richarlison's performance? And are we happy, perhaps, with him having a run of games as the starter and Sonny coming off the bench, Rosa? Yes, basically. I think um, this is the way it has to be now, really, because I don't... I, I just It doesn't make any sense to me otherwise, I, especially with both of the games that Sonny's come off the bench, he's scored. Four goals so, in two sub-appearances, yeah, one, like one goal one in, in one in 20 as a starter. Yeah, so it's just, you know, I don't care about stats that much, but those are just like, you, you can't hide from those facts, let's be honest. Mm. So that's what I'd like to see. And I think as well, it seems that Richarlison is a much better fit for at least the, for the way we want to play, at least in the first half of games, which is that we do we just are more defensive in the first half. That's not, that's just not going to change under Cellini at all, is it? So that's fine. But that means you want, if you want somebody to have their back to goal and to hold the ball up for you, don't ask Sonny to do it. That, you've got your man, Richarlison, who can do that and can do it really, really well. And, and can press as when, well. I think, yeah, I think that's always then, the thing that I feel like when he's in the team, we're a lot more aggressive at pressing mm-hmm. The, the defenders on the ball I always think yeah and then later on when the game is more stretched you can have Sonny on to just run basically and that seems absolutely fine and it's you know it's harsh I guess for somebody who was our golden boot winner last season but that's football and it's unfair and also, on Charleston otherwise it's crazy yeah. like he has to be given a chance I think also perhaps it keeps Sonny fresh you know, for the the last stretch of the season, if maybe there's five or six games now where he can sort of be this super sub figure. And also, yeah, I think, you know, we've seen Richarlison, that's the fifth Premier League game he started this season. He's only started three. He started a couple out on the right wing where he's sort of next to useless, I think, really. So that's three he started on the left wing, which is where he did tend to play most of his games for Everton, but we've not, we've not seen him at all playing through the middle. You know, this is a guy we spent you know, we committed 60 million quid to allowing Harry Kane to have a day off here and there. And he's not played really, what, more than 10 minutes sort of deputising as an actual striker. So, 
to get our sort of record signing in the flow and in a bit of a rhythm, I think could be, again, could be massive going into the sort of last stretch of the season. If we can somehow get him and Sonny sort of fit and firing would be would be huge. It's a massive luxury as well, isn't it? Like you look at um, Man City, for example, and I know Pep's mental and often just drops his best players. But, um, you know, you look at City's bench and they've based, sometimes they've got De Bruyne on the bench um, or, you know, Foden or Grealish or Mares to come off the bench. Like psychologically, you're playing mm. Spurs and you know that we've got Son, Sonny to bring on. I think that's... Um, yeah, absolutely. It's a good look. And we finally, with him and Dan Juma and even Lucas going on uh, mm. to West Ham, uh, just to run about a bit and confuse people, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> including his own fans. Yeah, I certainly was confused. Did did Dan Juma come on at all? No, he didn't, no. did he? I was a bit like, this seems unfair, really. I don't think he's played at the stadium yet. Is he? I think he's, he's made all of his appearances away so far. But Neither yeah, finally, finally some options anyway. And like, yeah, what a, what a buzz to have one of the world's, one of the league's best forwards to come off the bench. And it's what Mourinho used to talk about even, right? Is this idea that, you know, you don't have to just have players that are absolutely a million percent nailed on starters every week. And like you say, Tom, actually, you know, what better way to try and sort of bamboozle an opposition than for them not to know who's going to start and whether it's Richarlison or Son coming on, it just gives them something different to think about. And we've just not had anything like those options so far. So the idea that we might actually now, you know, pose a different threat each week, depending on who we can start, seems pretty exciting to me. Um, Just one, sorry, just on Richarlison though, he should have fucking scored that chance just uh, just after half time. Yeah, he's still, he's still rusty, isn't he? I mean... Uh, yeah, he I mean, knew it as well. He looked so furious, yeah, yeah. And, he looked, and he looked furious about coming off as well. Yeah, he looked furious when he got taken off. Yeah, he was well pissed off. I mean, he's just not like I was looking at the stats. He's he's completed ninety minutes once in the league this season. It's he tends to come off. I think his average is like sixty-one minutes or something. He tends to come off when he has actually started. So we just haven't had a sample size of any real sort of meaning with him yet. I don't think and. You know, I think he's sort of becoming more one for next season, which seems ridiculous when he paid that much money and everything else. But who knows? Hopefully he will still have a few key moments before the end of the season. Billy, how, how are you feeling about Richie at the minute? Um, I, To be honest, I think Rose absolutely nailed it um, by saying that he is... He's obviously not a better left winger than Son, but the, the way that we sort of play under Conte is we don't really have a left winger as such. It's more like a sort of second striker that is there to hold up the ball. Um, particularly this season, um, and Son is not very good at that at all. It's not his. It's not his thing. Um, when he's, you know, when he's running at, in behind defenders, he's one of the best players in the world at it. But being asked to hold at the boys is not something he's very good at. Whereas Richarlison is is much better suited to it. And I think there were definitely signs in the second half, particularly in the first like ten minutes of it, that the front three were starting to work together. I think another player mm. that sort of the question marks over Kudasevsky, but I thought he was robbed basically of two assists because he put one on a plate for Richarlison, who should have scored, and then about a minute later, um, did the same for Kane, who you know Kane very rarely misses the chance that he had. Um, so I definitely think this, there are signs that Kudasevsky come back to his, his best as well. Mm. Um, on another day, that would just be two two Kudasevsky assists. Um, so I, I definitely think you know these guys they, they never get to play together as you say so mm. um, it's just got a, it's just a case of sticking with it now I think the, the, the mistake we made after the Leicester game the original Leicester game was that Son scored and then we put him straight back in the team it didn't really change anything you, he then went on yeah. about you know 
10, 11 games again of not scoring. So I hope we don't make that same mistake and we keep this sort of thing going where we're bringing him on to score goals because um, I, th- I think Richie has earned it, even though Son did score in the last game. Um, you know, Richie Anderson has earned this sort of this spell that I hope he's going to get now. To my mind as well, maybe Richarlison's a bit more suited to Chelsea on the weekend than Sonny, I think. And yeah, just going back to what Rose is saying about how we do set up, particularly in first halves, having someone that can sort of harry and harass sort of perhaps quite nervy Chelsea defenders seems maybe a bit more suited to that fixture. Um, one more thing about the West Ham game. We should, we should chat briefly about our... Still 100% record head coach, Christian Stellini. That's another victory for uh, for the big man. Um, I mean, it's good that like, Conte is taking this period of sort of convalescence seriously now. I think obviously he, ra- he rushed back. He wasn't right. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure Mrs. Conte sort of furious with him for jumping on a plane back to England when the doctors told him not to. And we're in, we're in safe hands. Do we feel like to me, it's given me sort of big, like Martin Yole, sort of cuddly supply teacher vibes where he's obviously like cut from the same sort of disciplinarian cloth as as his boss. But maybe there's just a tiny bit less kind of frantic angst flying around the dressing room slash uh, sort of training centre at the minute. What, what, what do we think, Razor? Yeah, and I said this last week, and I and I genuinely do believe this. Actually, I think they're just two in their heads about Conte, and whether and you know, I think probably a lot of that is to do with the sort of stress and trauma that has surrounded him. Like it, you know, it's just probably like working with someone who is just kind of walking around under like a big cloud all the time, and mm. that's that's nobody's fault. It just is how it is, and it. But it just probably means that they really want to to win for him but they're just overthinking it and screwing it up and I think with Cellini he's just like guys it doesn't you just you just care less and Mm. for some reason because we're the most fucking contrary club in the universe (laughs) it somehow works (laughs) so I just think you know I don't know it's sort of weird because I don't want to be out here saying don't rush back Antonio but also we seem to have accidentally fallen into sort of I don't know sort of well, I think you're right. In that you want you want him to come back and for the players to feel sort of happy to see him with a slightly less weight on the world, sorry, weight of the world on his shoulders sort of demeanour, which I imagine has very much been how he's sort of been carrying himself. And certainly with the press and just on the touchline, he's just not looked himself for a while now. So hopefully he does take the required amount of time to rest and get back to 100%. And he does come back and everyone's, you know, lifted by his... Uh, by his return rather than stressed out, which probably was what happened, I reckon, ahead of that Leicester game where they were like, oh God, he's back. And he's like, he looks like death and he's in a really bad mood. And like you say, we're desperate to win for him, but we're also terrified of him and what will happen. If we lose, he might die. Yeah, exactly. These are some stakes, right? These are some pretty high fucking stakes. (laughs) Um, Billy, go on. Uh, yeah, so I, I, where I sit in the south stand, I have a pretty like terrible overall over view of the pitch. So I don't, I, you know, I'm not really the best like tactical observer of football. That like, I just, and also I'm just sort of too in my own nerves to be to even notice anything like that. Um, but I saw this video afterwards of a guy from a guy called Euro Expert who makes these like really short um, tactics videos um, that you know someone as stupid as me can understand quite easily. And he did one about the second half where he basically made some changes. Um, and we put 
we changed the sort of direction of Emerson and Davis, which is why we scored that goal pretty early on in the second half. And um, it's one of those things, it's a great tactical change. And it, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird sort of experience at the moment because you don't know whether that's Stellini or is like, like Conte by telephone telling him to do that. Same kind of happened with Man City with this Eric Dyer thing where they mm. decided to put Eric Dyer in midfield and again. But if you, if you listen to interviews of Stellini, he's always very, very quick to say it was all Conte, not me. Um, so it's a bit of a weird one. You don't you don't really know how much is is going on, how much of it is Conte by Zoom or whatever, and how much is Stellini. But I, I don't know if it's the sort of case of Stellini just being a really humble guy as well, because he's always very. He says he finds it quite strange that he's getting these plaudits and stuff. Um, and he, you know, he's very very quick to point out that the changes come from Conte, not from him. Um, but there must be something in it. There just must be. Like we've we played it well every time that we played with him, um, and these sort of tactical changes, which. You know, one of the things we spoke about a lot, particularly last week, is that Conte is not a guy that changes things up. He's sort of stick, he's very, very rigid in his tactical approach. Um, so maybe it is Stellini that's sort of doing these sort of in-game changes that have won, um, won us the game against Man City and now West Ham as well. Um, as I was saying earlier, I think, um, like my view, I can see the coaches pretty well. And particularly before those subs, it looked like there was kind of three or four of them, including Mason, kind of having a little conference about what they were doing, which I thought was really, um, yeah, really quite cute to see that teamwork. Obviously, you don't you don't see that with Conte, really, mm. other than when he kind of gestures to the bench to, to get someone on. Um, so, yeah, that was nice. And I just think, like you said, he's, he is a very humble guy. He's not really taking much um, credit for anything. I think he said Conte was texting or something. Um, but yeah, just comes across as a genuinely lovely guy. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm into him. I've got well, this really funny image in my head now of Conte just like furiously sending loads of texts and Selene just being like, I'll just look at that later. I'm just going to do my <laughs> own thing. <laughs> hands the phone to Mason and goes, just, just tell him everything. You deal with this. Yeah, you yeah. do. Then the Mason just texts him a few emojis and thumbs, thumbs up emoji. <laughs> well, um, Stellini will be in the dugout on the weekend when we welcome Chelsea um, for another big London derby. Um, Chelsea have won one of their last five in the league, which was a 1-0 home win over Palace in the middle of Jan. Um, three draws and, of course, that defeat at home to Southampton on the weekend, the other four fixtures in that run. Um, they've only scored one goal in February. Uh, they've scored 23 goals in 23 games across the season. So scoring is proving a real problem for Graham Potter's team. Um, they do have a reasonably stingy defence. 23 goals conceded to, as I said earlier, are frankly shocking 35. Um, we've not beaten them in the league since 2018, which was that um, that 3-1 win at Wembley with that incredible sunny goal. It's been that long. I know there was a couple of sort of Carabao victories here and there, but in the league, there's eight games we've gone without beating them. Um, Rhys James, Thiago Silva and Hakim Ziyech were rested on the weekend, so I'm sure they'll be back to face us. But they've got Kante, Pulisic, Mendy and I guess Azpilicueta out, who he sort of went off, had to go to hospital, I think, so I don't think he'll play. Um, however, I feel like with Chelsea... They'll probably look incredible against us because they always do. I mean, I remember last season, probably the most miserable stretch of the season was when we had to play them about 16 times in a month and they just sort of handed us our asses each time. And it put 
those games seem to put content in such a dark funk for what felt like an eternity that it was like, is he even going to survive Christmas at this club or past February or whatever it was? It was bleak times. But how are we all feeling about it, given that sort of wonderful amount of context that I've just provided? Um, Billy, are you... I mean, really, we should be feeling as confident going into a game against Chelsea as we have done in a long, long time, right? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're never going to get a better chance to beat them. Like, they've never, since I can remember, they've never been on a, a run, run of form this bad coming into our game. I think there was that one at the beginning of this season where it was kind of like we were, at the very beginning of the season, if you remember, we were like sort of tipped as like up there in the title race and stuff. And we made yep. a great summer. <laughs> and then we played them, we were absolutely terrible. We were, we were awful. Like, we, mm. they, they, we got very lucky in that game to come away with a point. Um, I don't know. I just think Chelsea are so far in our heads. I think someone pointed out that, um, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal and Chelsea have a similar sort of similar relation to um, us and Man City. That Arsenal always beat Chelsea. We always beat Man City, and Chelsea always beat us. Like it's just there's just some certain fixtures that they just always go the same way. Um, and Arsenal, Chelsea is one of them. Man City, Tottenham is one of them, and Chelsea, Tottenham is one of them. Um, and sadly, like we just, I don't know. There's something in our heads against Chelsea. Um, and that's always been the case already, hasn't it? I remember that Aaron Lennon, the Aaron Lennon goal. That was like our first win in like 20 years, wasn't it, or something? Like it's just, it's just not a good fixture for us. So you know, I'm, I'm pretty worried about it to be honest. But it's just one of those things that you can't really do anything about. Um, that was quite bleak, Billy. Sorry, I was expecting something a bit more cheering there, Rosa. Do better than that. <laughs> I could do a tiny bit better than that. Um, um, I think we'll probably draw, to be honest, just because I just. I would take that. I would take that. Yeah, and that, well, I'd rather, I really, I think we should, well, it's just tricky, isn't it? Because, you know, West Ham was so bad and we're not, mm-hmm. we're not going to get, you know, they're not going to let Gentle Ben and Emerson Rowell, like, get forward. Like, they Reese like, James is not going to let Ben Davies do that. Exactly. That it's side, just yeah. not, yeah, exactly. Like, Gentle Ben, he's just probably, he's not going to get, like, out of our half, is he? Let's be honest. So, I and I just we don't we don't have anyone what we what we do really really lack and we've liked for a long time is anyone with any sort of real creative intelligence like Kane can do it um but then well sort of I think yes he can that's true um but he's been quite up and down this season as it is and Kane to do it Kane is sort of playing in two positions so that's also quite tricky so I can sort of see us getting a bit just sort of bogged down and not just kind of very backs to the wall in the end I think because I think Chelsea however bad they are I think they will always feel good about this fixture and that that they'll get something out of it Um, and they're obviously mostly right to feel like that Um, (laughs) So um, the only reason I'm slightly less down about it than I otherwise would be is that I think, like, Conte has suffered, like, three out of those four losses with us last season, and it was so miserable. And Mm. obviously, being a former Chelsea manager, it probably really, really stung him. Um, So I think he would really, really, really want to beat them. And again, that would probably all be too much for our very, sort of, the very fragile psyche, collective psyche of Tottenham Hotspur. Whereas I think with Cellini, he'll just be a bit more relaxed about it. Mm. So it might... 
that's the only thing that <laughs> sounds really really depressing doesn't it? it's the only thing I could see in our favor but it's quite a big thing I think because it just ultimately it's such a psychological battle Chelsea Tottenham isn't it so the, the other thing I think we have in our favor is you can't underestimate the capacity for Chelsea players to sabotage coaches they don't like and just sort of for player power at that club to rise up and it always seems to be a massive thing it doesn't matter what set of players it just feels like because of the nature of the player they te- they they tend to sign Chelsea I really really there's a small part of me that wouldn't be all that surprised if the players just were like that's just down tools for a couple more games and we'll see this nerd off and we can And actually get to lose to us would really do it as well. Well, this is the thing. So would I think only, it's they wouldn't either... even have to do it for two more games. It would be, this yeah. would finish him. I think this either marks probably the end of Graham Potter or sort of kickstarts his Chelsea sort of career. Oh God. And, <laughs> but it, it feels, you know, Chelsea Tottenham is for them, it's, you know, this is like the big derby, isn't it? And if, I think it is that high stakes. And I imagine Potter probably deep down despite all these public noises about Chelsea being in it for the long haul with him and there's a they're not they're going to be panicking they're miles off top four and I refuse to believe that they can be spending all this money and accepting you know not being in European competition next season surely that's not even, not but not even not plan. being in European competition like they're not even scoring goals like so even yeah. if they score you know this weekend like that's not going to turn it around he's just not a manager that gets teams scoring goals it seems so hopefully he'll like it'll be too much for his fragile mm. psyche this is it I think yeah and also you know we're talking about Chelsea and them having this sort of hold over us you know, this is Potter's first fixture against Tottenham's, and I, I don't know if he perhaps carries that same sort of gravitas that usual Chelsea managers come into our stadium and possess. You know, he's not a too cool. He's not a Conte. He's Such not a story great as uh, Di Matteo. Di Matteo and Avram <laughs> Grant and all these sort of chances that also usually sort of turn us over. Um, so, I mean, Billy's completely right. This feels like the best chance we're going to have, and I've, I feel quietly confident that you know I mean I don't know why in God's name I feel quietly confident because every time I feel quietly confident this season I've been kicked in the balls and left on the side of the road but maybe Tom how are you doing? (laughs) I'm not doing well Um, (laughs) I would never feel quietly confident against Chelsea I'm afraid like you said our record is so bad against them and I'm I'm enjoying them being um, mid-table so much it's like it's been so great to have them and annoyingly I think Liverpool looks like Liverpool are going to go on a bit of a run now because having those two mid-table has been great but yeah I don't know I I would like Rosa I'd agree with Rosa and Billy I would happily take a draw and I would love, I think we're going to need big games from Romero and Dyer. I, I don't know. Like Davis was so good at wing back, um, but I don't trust Longley at left centre back. So it'll be interesting to see what he does there. I don't um, think Perisic can play really. He's been so poor since the World Cup. I mean, he I, think, I, I think, think Davis will play. I think they'll think be Perisic so concerned about knackered. Rich James. Yeah, I think yeah. Perisic, Perisic should have been sent off in the 15 yeah. minutes that he was on against <laughs> West Ham. It was an awful, awful cameo from... He he mm-hmm. had a sort of... Like when I was complaining about Rosella Ryan playing against Chelsea the other week, like he had a very similar performance, just came on, did nothing good, only hurt us. Yeah. I wonder if he's now in a place with us at this side of the season after having a World Cup where he played every minute and pretty much every game. 
like maybe he just can't play wing back for at least a while because it's such a physically demanding position for let alone a sort of 34 year old who's also played so much football maybe he just needs to be like a sub for one of the wide yeah. forwards I think he genuinely that's... needs a break now to be honest yeah. like I think he's he has played too much football like yeah. I don't usually go in for that but I think he definitely mm. definitely has yeah, and I think just looking at this Chelsea game, I think it's, it's so big for top four. Like we've managed to kind of drag ourselves back in. And Newcastle won't be playing this weekend, so it's, you know we could mm. we put more points in them. And I think we're at that stage of the season now where you know Liverpool have got two games in hand on us. Newcastle will have two games in hand on us, but like points on the board is all that really matters because those those game in hands can like quickly disappear and yep. um, end up meaning nothing. Because after Chelsea, we've just had a look. We've got Wolves, Nottingham Forest, Southampton, Everton, and Brighton, and then Bournemouth. And like that's a, a really favourable run of fixtures at this time of the season. So if we can, if we if we beat Chelsea, I think we'd have a really decent chance of top four. Even if we just sort of scrape through a draw, um, you know, I, I will really start to believe that we can really sort of claim that top four place again. Because um, I just think it'll be such a big lift getting that win. Mm. We, we, we're due one. We're due a yeah. win over these guys. Like we're we're so due it. I remember that game. I remember it really really well. That three one that you were speaking about when they had. Um, um, sorry as manager and it just mm. everything clicked for us that day and that's what we need again like we just need one of those games where just one of those sort of classic days at the at the lane where it just yeah. came I feel like Kane hasn't he hasn't really had that Chelsea game for a while has he like no. sort, of, sort of Kane classic performance um, it'd be really good to see it and I feel like obviously the City game was incredible but we've done that against City quite a lot and that's like we're saying that's just the sort of we're one of their weird hex teams now whereas this would be a real statement win right as we're saying we've not done it in a while it's a derby they're on their knees we can really sort of almost finish off this dreadful nerd that turned us down like this this feels like the moment where we sort of stand up and be counted but who knows Tom I've also said this before, um, but it would be amazing for Richarlison to just fucking kickstart everything, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, get his goal. And like you said, Billy, the, the sort of fixture list favours us uh, from this point on. So, and, you know, he loves a big game, Richarlison, doesn't he? We saw it in Merseyside derbies um, when he played mm. Everton. Like, and, you know, they've Chelsea are also experts at shit housing or whatever you want to call it. So uh, if we can have some of that from Richarlison, I'll be happy. And Romero, obviously, but just please don't get sent off. Mm. Um, some quick predictions, please. Rosa, you first. Um, two all. As just, yeah, as the, the same as the reverse. Okay. Tom? I was also going to say two all, funnily enough. So, I'll, yeah, go with that. All through, okay. like, hilarious defensive lapses. <laughs> this is it it's either going to be like yeah it's going to be a classic but a classic in a bad way because the standard of football is just going to be two sort of weird nervy teams yeah, just... it's going to be like oh Tottenham have gifted Chelsea the lead again <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah. Tottenham's lead lasted 90 seconds as Chelsea roared back <laughs> yeah. I'm getting angry already and it hasn't even <laughs> happened <laughs> um, Billy uh, I'm going to go 1-0 Tottenham I'm going to go for Oh god, that I can, I'm just imagining the sort of chain of events to lead to that is making me really. I'm already like starting the timer on my phone for the added time at the end of the uh, end of the ninety minutes as we cling on to a one nil lead. Oh god, 
come on Tottenham this this I we I feel like we've said this on on the podcast about 50 times this season but this really does feel like the game if we want to do something this season we've we've got to turn up please 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 just to take the pressure off a little bit I actually don't feel like that because I'm still very much cups only okay. I don't really believe the league's going to happen for us and I'm not currently that bothered about it so if that just takes okay. a little bit of the pressure off then happy to help <laughs> thank you thank you rosa i feel like that definitely worked and can i just say on the uh on the timer front there because i know we've spoken about this on before in the podcast there's an amazing video of sean deitch in his, in the last everton game from the sidelines when the final whistle goes and he stops his stopwatch so he is one of us he's a he's a classic injury time timer that even this. happens at the top so level much. of management there's a stopwatch ultra um i'm gonna i think we're gonna win i think it's gonna be two one I think Chelsea are going to take the lead and we're going to roar back in the second half and uh, Richarlison is going to score. That's my deep hope for the weekend. Um, so that's Chelsea covered. We should move over to Spurs women who, thankfully for them, get a bit of respite from the WSL woes of the last few months um, or what feels like about the last nine months. Um, and they play in the cup. We're at home to Reading. Um Rosa, this should feel maybe a little bit of a nice break for them and they can go out and play some football and be a bit less stressed. Yeah, I think so. This one is, as they say, eminently winnable. Um, We did unfortunately lose to Reading in the league, but in that sort of horrible pre-Christmas run. And they did. it was an Amy Turner own goal. So I just feel like it doesn't really count. Um, We've got a pretty good record against them. So they haven't actually... I think they. I was listening to the N17 women pod earlier this week, which is really, really good this week, and you should all listen to it. And they were saying that like Reading haven't scored a goal against us like from open play since like April 2021 or something crazy. So the signs are there for it to be a hilarious disaster. No, it's going to be fine. I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling really good. The thing is, we've just. It's just the problem of everything kind of coming together slightly too late for us in the league. I think hopefully we will still be okay relegation-wise. But in terms of the Cups, so we're actually like playing some pretty good stuff and we're scoring goals now. So I think actually we should be fine and it should be fun. And I'm fairly confident that we will win and go through to the next round. So that is, yeah, that's one to look forward to, I think. Yeah, um, and just something to something positive to happen for yeah. the team would could be a massive kickstart for their season as well. We're talking about the men's needing a bit of a, a launch pad, but the women need it sort of doubly so, don't they? Particularly because we seem to also have been on the end of one of the more ludicrous pieces of sort of FA nonsense that I think I've ever read. Or like I'm just rubbing my temples right now and just like it just the sheer like Do you want to tell everyone what we're talking fuckery. about? So last week um when we played we played Man United and Ella Toon got sent off for kicking um Evelina Simonon. I actually I think on the pod last week I said it was Bethany England because I literally can't tell blonde ponytails apart. Um so she got sent off and then United appealed it and the card was rescinded. Um, don't really know, like, I guess, cause she didn't actually make contact. Um, 
So that's fine. Whatever, that kind of thing happens, not a problem. And whatever, somebody else was like, that this is pure lioness privilege in action. So I'm just, whatever. That it that maybe it may not be, who knows? Um, but what happened after that was fucking insane because then the FA charged have charged Evelina um for with successful deception of a match official. Which which sounds like she's like, like bribed like, her you- or has like, you know, done something really, really, really terrible, not just exaggerate being hit in the face, which is basically what happened yeah. and also what we see every single game every single, every single game, week multi- but not just every single game like multiple times yeah. during every single game so there's just so many levels of fuckery that I, that I, honestly there is no other word for it just going on here because number one like is this are we really are we really doing this are we really setting this precedent mm. um number two Aside from anything else, fine, you can appeal for a card to be overturned, right? But since when are we giving people, are we making decisions after a game for things that happened during the game? Like, when did that start happening? I genuinely, I don't, it's fine to overturn a card, but when was the last time anyone was given a card? It's, um... It's, it's mad, and it's such. That a, seems it's to me a, like if we if we're going down that path, that is crazy. Like that is beyond. That's not even a, like that's like a whole mess of worms from one giant can. Are you really wanting to go there? I genuinely. I hope. I don't know if Tottenham have appealed it, but they absolutely should because it's insane. And it's um, you know, obviously we're not condoning, and I'm sure the club would be the first to say, you know, exaggeration of stuff like that is not particularly on and you don't want to see it and you know we've you know been mad in the past when opposition players have exaggerated stuff when we've played them of course it's not the best thing in the in the sport of football however it's such a you know to for for Evelina to now have that sort of against her name it's a real stain on her character it's a you know it's a blot against her for the rest of her career now in such a like drastic yeah. really overblown way and you know as we're saying this is to to our knowledge like never happened before and yet we're talking about a really sort of common or garden instance of something that does happen literally multiple times per fixture yeah and it seems bonkers and it does you know you do go down the sort of tinfoil hat of lioness privilege and you know just because this happened to one of our golden girls then we should throw the book at who dared sort of. But it's weird because it doesn't even, they could have just overturned the yeah. Toons card. Like, Why I they've had to go this extra mile. Un- it was completely unnecessary. Like United didn't ask for it. Nobody, you know, mm. I just think it's something that wouldn't have even occurred to anybody. It's like, are we now going to go back? Are we going to like rewatch games and say, well, actually you should yeah. be given a card here. So now we're going to give you a card. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't, and also, that's not how football works. It just isn't. I've, I was reading some stuff about how it's also, you know, it sparks a debate around, you know, female athletes being held to far very much you know, so. Yep. The sort of moral the moral mm-hmm. standards that they must adhere to are so far removed from where male athletes have to worry about. You it's know, not, like when it's, it's, it's not just that, it's this weird patronizing thing of, oh, this isn't, you know, people who even are saying this, they mean it as a compliment. Oh, you don't get this in the women's game. You don't mm. get all the like play acting and rolling around and blah, blah, blah. It's like I don't. I'm not interested in you being patronizing like that. It's just like 
the, the sort of idea behind it is that somehow like it's a compliment but it's not really a compliment is it because mm. the idea is actually you're not really that competitive I think or like women shouldn't behave this way women yeah. don't do this yeah um it's just complete bullshit and it really spun me out actually like yeah. I just got really angry about I'm it. so angry <laughs> about it like I still like I just don't I don't feel like because it's not even anything where you can think this is a weird conspiracy theory because if it was I would almost be like oh well it's uh whatever the FA love their lionesses yada yada but this is just this makes no sense and also it's a very weird I don't want to say oh you can't do this to Tottenham Hotspur but it's a really weird decision it's a really weird move if you're trying to like grow the game and grow the league I don't think you want to be taking these sorts of decisions that will impact teams that you want to keep in the league let's be honest like are you do you want to start kind of like do you do you want to make it so that it is just Chelsea Arsenal Manchester City and like mm other teams that we don't care about do you know what I mean they're trying to grow it so why are you doing the why are you handing out these like incredibly weird arcane punishments to those other teams it just so maybe that is slightly conspiracy theorist <laughs> I was gonna say that's probably the most conspiracy theory I've I do a little bit so <laughs> I'm just however so angry what now. it what it does do it it sort of really brings the the women's team into the sort of grand tradition of I can't believe this has happened. This could only happen to yeah. Spurs. Um, so welcome, welcome Spurs women. Um, it's been a while coming. You've seemed sort of relatively normal and unaffected by these complete nonsenses so far, but it's good to it's good that you're finally fully you know, really coised. Fully coised DNA'd up. Um mm. anyway, good luck to the to the women against Reading in the Cup. Be lovely to go on a cup run there. Um Culture pick, guys. Let's whiz through some culture. Um, Billy, we are knee deep in awards season. Um, how are you feeling about how the gongs are being sort of dished out so far? Any Anything making you as mad as Rosa is about the women's FA? Um, do you know what? I actually saw the whale last week for the first time um, and I thought it was really, really good. Um, I, I, I have kind of, I haven't really fully watched it, but I... Um, I saw the BAFTAs, sort of the sort of the headline of the BAFTAs. I'm not really a massive fan of All Quiet on the Western Front. I think it's like a really um, impressive film. It's just not really something that we haven't seen before. Like we've done the whole war thing so many times, like 1912, won a lot of awards. It's, mm. you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm just. Is, is just, war uh, hell? Is exactly. that the message? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's are there, are there young boys that are sort of changed forever? Um, exactly. Okay, exactly cool. that. Exactly that. Um, I'm just so tired of that. You know, there's a lot more better stories that are being told and much more, you know, I, I personally feel like more important stories that haven't been told before um, that are more worthy of the awards. Um, <clears throat> but I, I thought Brendan Fraser was amazing. I don't know if you saw, if anyone has sort of been following the awards um, season at all, like Brendan Fraser is just absolutely smashing it. Like he's just mm. so like, so wholesome. Um, there was a thing where he had like um, a bumper sticker. Some uh, Ali Plum presented him a bun- bumper sticker which said, "Honk if you'd rather be watching the 1999 cinematic masterpiece, The Mummy, starring Brendan Fraser and Mitchell Weiss." And he was like genuinely chuffed to get to get it, and he returned him with like a packet of Harry Bow. Um, and there's a, a video going around as well. I think uh, Austin Butler won Best Actor, and Brendan Fraser just looks like genuinely chuffed for him, and he's like, like he just looks like really, really happy that he won the award. Um, I, I'm just really, really here for his like story arc of everything that he's been through 
um, and his comeback and the fact that I thought the whale was really, really, really good as well. I thought he was. Did a, you? Because I know it's got it's got yeah, quite it's, mixed it's one reviews. Of those ones, yeah, the, the performances are um, amazing. Like he is really. I don't know. I'm still. I still can't really take my pick who I want to win that award because I would love to see Colin Farrell win it. Um, and I thought Austin Butler was really good as Elvis as well. It's not, it's one of those ones where I don't really mind who wins it out of those three. I'm sure it's going to be one of the three. Um, but I just like for everything that Brendan Fraser's been through um, and the sort of character that he is and the character that he's shown himself to be in this award season, I would love him to do it. Um, so yeah, I wasn't. I, I was also very happy at the Baftas that. Um, Banshees is getting a lot of love as well. And our, our mm. man, uh, Barry Keogh, won as well. So, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag. I was a bit, a bit disappointed that um, All Quiet won all the awards that it did. But, um, yeah, I think there's a long, long, long way to go before the Oscars. And I think we'll see a, see a... I don't think All Quiet will be as successful in the Oscars as it was last night. I hope not, because it feels otherwise. I, I prefer it when the BAFTAs try to kind of shake things up a bit, because it, it feels sort of like a... When it does things like this, it feels like a kind of pale imitation of the Oscars, mm. doesn't it? Where they give the best film to like the sort of prestige war movie and then they give the best actor to someone who's done like an impression of somebody famous. So you'd want them to, like, I, it's a shame it wasn't more creative. And I'm always surprised at the BAFTA being so conservative because mm. like you are the Carabao Cup to the, you know, Oscars and Globes is sort of Premier League and... FA Cup like just let Birmingham City win it yeah like do something fun and wacky and give someone else their night like I don't understand it's no one's gonna think badly of the BAFTA Academy for doing that surely also on a very basic level I didn't realize I fancied uh, Kerry Condon from uh, Banshees (laughs) who looked incredible on the red carpet and was a deserved winner I think she got best supporting actress right did so her she, and Barry did, both yeah. won. Ireland, Ireland storming through in their award season this at the moment. Is I she, know, um, that, that song was just absolutely ridiculous. So what was going on now? And she sort of name-checked everyone. Angela uh, Bassett doing her thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, how's Kerry doing in the sort of Oscars running? Is she, I think that's the first time she's won, I think. Okay. I think it's the first okay. one that she's won. I think it's the first time Barry, it's the first time that... Um, um, Barry Keogh's one as well, so I think okay, it's, so, I'm glad that they got something because they're probably not going to win at the Oscars. So. so what what you're saying is that BAFTA basically did exactly what I've just accused them not of doing. Cool, they did okay. in in some ways, but they like <laughs> I don't know, like I think it's pretty it's easy cool to that do they, it with um, supporting though. That's the thing. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah it's, that, it's you're completely cool right. That they, um, a non English a non English speaking film won all these awards, but. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just, I feel that there's, there's some, there's better choices than that. Mm. Um, and I'm not, by the way, like going full Brexit and saying that the BAFTA <laughs> should only give British films uh, silverware. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I promise. Just um, just don't give me also, after Sun and Banshees. Like that's all you need. Like two amazing British films. Mm. On a related note, don't get me started on David Guetta winning Best Producer <laughs> at Brits. He's French. The guy's French. <laughs> Like, sorry, that makes me sound all Brexit now, but like, what? Anyway. Yeah, how's, I mean, actually, how is that allowed? I don't know. I don't think anyone else was going to turn up and he was a sort of big name around. But yeah. We it's one of those weird things where it's like, oh, he he has a studio in London or something. Yeah, we didn't leave the European Union for David Gatt to invest producers. Exactly, no. exactly. What's the point? No. <laughs> Can, they couldn't even do his like performance properly. Like, the, whole, the whole thing was a complete sham. Um, it's that, yeah, I need to, I, I keep meaning to look into the rules for the best producer award because I assume it's like a global prize because there's not an international variant of it at the Brits, maybe. 
I don't know, but it's not like it's also not like the UK has a dearth of production talent. Like it's probably, you know, a golden age of UK producers. This is just it's so anyway, yeah, it's preposterous. Um Billy, do you want to actually give us a give us a pit or was the whale yeah, so your pick? The, yeah, the whale. Um okay. the whale. I know it's it's I think it's it's got a lot of um it's it's quite polarizing because it is one, it's very, very depressing. Um, and there's a lot of sort of stuff about the sort of the fat phobia and things like that that people mm. have had an issue with. And I, I totally get all that kind of stuff. But um yeah, I just I, I just find the performance of Brendan Fraser just well, well worth it. So yeah. And how how is uh Sadie Sink, who I think is very talented? Oh, she is excellent. In fact, there's um there's about four or five um, you can tell that it's based on a play because it all happens in pretty much in one room and it's very like stagey at times and all five of the, of the cast are amazing it's brilliant she is great I think she's going to have a big mm. big big career of, you know I think that she's she's doing at the moment it seems to be touching you know make, making huge waves so yeah the, the, the whole sort of ensemble class is, is brilliant in it as well lovely stuff but it's not I've it's got so much love a, for Brendan Fraser he's yeah, another one like but yeah, it's certainly it? not a cheery film on any imaginable level. It's very, very tough watch. We um we accidentally watched uh, George of the Jungle recently oh, with with amazing. our daughter, and she just adores that film. So yeah, we're big big on the sort of Brendan Brendan Aisance in this household for sure. Mummy is generally school ties, school ties, an absolute classic, and Blast what? from the Past as well. What was the one with Ian McKellen? What's the um... All Gods and Monsters? Got oh, some yes. Great film. He's actually got like quite a solid body of work, old Brendan. I need yes. to watch George of the Jungle now with my six-year-old. She'll love that. There's a lot of um, yeah, uh, Leslie Mann is the is the love interest, which I had no idea it was Leslie Mann until re-watching it. Very young yeah. Leslie Mann. She's gorgeous, yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's before she like got together with Judd Apatow and all the sort of accusations of She's only getting these jobs because she's married to Judd Apatow, sort of kicked in. But she's very good in George of the Jungle, so all of that chat can be dismissed, uh, as far as I'm concerned. As anyway, that's <laughs> I'm going to stop talking about Leslie Mann's career. Um, Rosa, what have you been doing culturally this week, please? Well, I'm so sad because, as you guys know, I watched a movie that I so wanted to love, and it was really, really, really terrible. Um, so like one of our favorite celebrity couples, Dave Franco, the good Franco brother, and his wife, Alison Brie, who we all love from Community and Mad Men, et cetera, um, have made a rom-com together. They wrote it together and she stars in it and he directed it. And it's got Jay Ellis in it, who I, who I love from Insecure. And he Jesse is one Clemens. of the most beautiful, he, by the way, is one of the uh, most beautiful mm-hmm. men that I think I've ever seen. He's yeah. so ridiculously handsome. I mean, he is very much coasting on that in this movie. I regret. <laughs> well, do I regret to tell you? I don't know. It's it's fine for what it is. Like you can just look at him. It's not a problem. But um, it's, what's it called? Somebody I used to know. Um, and it's on Amazon Prime. And it's essentially a remake of My Best Friend's Wedding, which in my opinion, is one of the best romantic comedies of the last 20 years. Um, and it's, It might be older than that. Is that older than 20 is years? It, okay, tw- th- 20, 30 years, whatever. Time is a flat circle. We don't concern ourselves with it. Um, anyway, a great movie, a great romantic comedy. Um, so I think if you're going to try to remake it, you really should know what you're doing. And I don't think they did. 
it's very lazy and everybody in it is just kind of coasting as well. So it's got so many charming, delightful, talented people in it, Mm. but they're just all half asleep. So Jay Ellis just basically gives like the most dialed down performance (laughs) is he's basically doing Lawrence from Insecure, who is who is like frustrating as hell at the best of times. And this guy is worse. (laughs) Alison Brie is such a joy, but it just doesn't channel like any of her like energy or any of her sass. Like I know that she can play that sort of Julia Roberts character where you want to root for her, but she's actually terrible. And then you root Mm. for her anyway. Like I know she's got that. But she doesn't give it to you at all. It's just a completely flat performance. Um, there's no chemistry. It's just really sad because, like, I love a romantic comedy. Like, I love and I respect that genre in a way that, you know, I don't I don't think it gets enough love and respect. But this is just, like, what I, I just thought, why bother? Like, I guess they all had a nice time kind of making it together and with their mates I and guess, stuff. Yeah. I I'm guess, yeah. Like, well, I suppose no. if you're looking for red flags for a movie, a sort of beloved celebrity couple wanting to do a rom-com, but only a sort of streamer is willing to foot the bill for it mm. because they can just stick it on there and, you know, bury it if it doesn't do well. And they don't have to worry about a cinematic release and all the rest of it. Quite quite a few red flags, I guess. This is disappointing because yeah. we've had it lined up for a couple of weeks now to watch. It seems you could just have it in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is. is. I've been watching her plug it on her Instagram, and it just seems a bit cringe. And it actually, before you mentioned that it was terrible, it prompted me to turn to my wife and say, "Do you think Dave Franco is good enough for Alison Brie?" Um, which Ooh. is probably a podcast in itself. Who, you know, I mean, who, just, who is, is as, my immediate response to that question. As a comic actor, yes. Okay. But, like, I think I'm, like, one of the only people who enjoyed the sort of weird last season of Scrubs that he was in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think very much. You've- <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I don't know if, like, any, you can trust any of my opinions on anything now. Um, so that was, But that was not the only thing that I did over the last few days I started reading um Naomi Alderman's book The Power which won the women's prize um Mm -hmm. a few years ago because they're gonna do because they've made again Amazon so really I hope this I hope this one is good um they've adapted it um with Tony Collette in one of the lead roles so I thought, and I saw the trailer for it and I was like, fuck, that looks so good. And I was like, oh, it's that book that I've always been meaning to read. So I'll start reading it. And I'm about halfway through and it's so, so, so brilliant. She's obviously, you can tell she was a massive Buffy fan. And so was I. So that works for me because it's sort of, it kind of works with the premise. It kind of starts with the premise that as if, do you remember, did you guys watch Buffy? You did, right? So you remember how it ended? Mm-hmm. Spoilers for like a 25-year-old show, I guess. I think it's okay. I think it's like, okay. Loads of girls get to get like to become slayers basically at the end of that show. So it's kind of what would happen if loads of girls suddenly became like incredibly powerful, basically. And it's not just some girls, it's every girl, and then that spreads to every woman. And obviously that's a pretty big change for society and I'm sort of in the like this is all really thrilling and all these women and girls are discovering their power and you know this is like the best thing ever we're sort of in that moment and I'm sure it's all going to go quite wrong at some point um but 
right now it's an absolute thrill. So I'll report back when I've finished it, but I'm absolutely loving it right now. It's brilliant. I'm super excited about the adaptation as well. Yeah, me too. Because yeah, I'd, I've had to read it for work a few years ago and I, I loved it. Um, I thought it was really, really good. So I'm keen to talk to you when you finish, Rosa. Um, I'll do mine quickly. Um, I'm going to shout out some music. Um, UK rap slash R&B, uh, Bundekin, uh, Wesley Joseph has a new project out. It's an eight track EP called Glow. Um, and it's further confirmation in my opinion. He's one of the more interesting artists in that space right now. Um, the focus track is particularly spellbinding. It's a very slinky slow jam called, uh, Sugar Dive featuring the Korean artist Dean. Um, just a really lovely listen. I think he's really interesting, um, and very talented. So yeah, give that give that a spin um we also tv wise we gobbled down the gold on the bbc which is a drama by neil forsyth um it's perhaps best known for writing um guilt which was on in 2019 i think with your man mark bonner who was chris in a, a catastrophe um so the gold is about the 1983 brinks matt gold robbery um it's got a very deep ensemble cast um who's in it hugh bonneville's in it charlotte spencer dominic cooper um jack loudon who's river cartwright and slow horses um it can be a little bit schlocky in places in the way that sort of bbc sort of prestige dramas can be in places but it looks lovely it's a proper old sort of riveting yarn um and just a nice thing to stick on and quite quite well acted, albeit Hugh Bonneville particularly trying to convince you that he's like a sort of the earth copper when he's like one of the poshest people in the world is gets a bit long in the tooth after a while. I really but. don't like him. Dominic he, Dominic Cooper's very good in it. He's uh very I've been swooning over Dominic Cooper talking of TV hunks. Yeah. Oh, I don't I don't like him that much either. He's quite good in it, to be honest. <laughs> no, uh, I think he's a good actor. He went to my rival school. Um, yeah. growing up, he was, yeah, I think we're about so boo, boo but he's a <laughs> southeast London sort of you know, Kent boy, so big sort of support of his endeavors. Although <laughs> I've never quite been convinced, and I guess casting directors have never also quite been entirely convinced as he's never sort of taken that leap. But he is quite, I think he's very believable in the role that he's in in the gold, Tom. Would you say that sort of slight chance, uh, kind of doesn't really fit in either world uh, maybe gets caught up in stuff that I, yeah, I think he's, I think he's pretty good. Yeah. I think he's good. I think the whole cast is, is really good. Even I don't like Hugh Bonneville particularly either, but um, yeah, he's quite, he's quite good as the kind of head cop guy. Mm. And I, um, I'm not really into, I tend to avoid cop dramas altogether, certainly British ones. Um, but I'm, I've enjoyed the first couple that I've seen. Yeah, it, it finishes pretty strongly to the point where you're kind of, oh, there might be a second season. So, uh, yeah, we enjoyed that. We enjoyed it. Um, Tom, over to you. See us home. Yeah, no, I was going to mention The Gold. Um, also really enjoying Shrinking. I mentioned it last week. Mm. It gets better of- each episode, right? Yeah, and the cast is brilliant. Um, yeah, Harrison Ford, Jason Segel, and all the supporting actors who I can't remember the names of, but the the, the female um, psychiatrist is brilliant, who's uh, maybe the third lead or whatever. Um, yeah, the whole cast is good, and I think it's settled into a nice rhythm. So shout mm. out to Brett Goldstein, our own seemingly a Spurs fan, although I've never seen him actually confirm that really. 
Um, and then, oh, I was just going to mention Abbott Elementary, which actually I watched about half of that first series that's on Disney+. Plus. Um, gave up on it, then it won loads of awards, and and the second series is about to come out on Disney Plus. I think it's been out in the states for a while, so I went back to it. Twenty minute comedy. It's so it's set in a school, obviously primary school, very very indebted to the office and Parks and Rec, which slightly put me off at first. Like whole sort of character arcs are just nicked wholesale from from the office, particularly. Um, but the end of the second series was really, really good. Very funny and like e- an easy watch, some brilliant writing and um, yeah, just super, super cute. Um, but yeah, that's all I've been watching really. No, I'm, and, yeah. I'm interested you said that because we gave it like a couple of episodes at Abbott and just, I think had that sort of office fatigue where I just can't, I can't stomach much more of, that sort of comedy it just feels so like so done to death so does it like what is it just like so charming that you kind of get over that yeah and then like the knowing looks to camera yeah are quite annoying that stolen wholesale from the office and then you know there's definitely a parks and rec influence i think quinta bronson who stars in it and writes it called amy polar her like tv mum or something recently um, so they're like, there's a big, big uh, influence, and she's nicked bits and bobs. But there's some, there is some lovely, lovely writing, and the the male lead is Chris from Everybody Hates Chris as well. Did you know that? When um, I first found that, because I went, because I watched the first couple of episodes, and then I forgot about it, and I need to go back to it. But I was like, it, like you know, when you're looking at someone, you're, I know you. Who are you? Where do I know you from? And then I then I looked him up afterwards, and I was like, oh my god, it's that yeah. little boy. It's- where did where did that? 15 years ago or 20 yeah, we're, we're not we're not going to think about that i think with the sort of style <laughs> of these um these sitcoms now it's just like a whole new kind of genre mm. unto itself now isn't it you just can't yeah. you know it's just become its own thing and it probably won't die but i would say go back to it because um mm. yeah there's some there's some nice character development towards the end of the series um cheryl lee ralph is especially amazing in it she's think, so funny man and i, I found her um Emmy or Golden Globes win on YouTube and she gave the most incredible speech she's like a TV legend been in like everything basically she's so so good in it um yeah it's cute it's worth definitely give give the second half of the first series ends really well and I think the second series that's coming is a 20 episode series which is um doesn't happen anymore yeah that's Um, proper old school yeah uh is it on Disney Disney Plus, yeah, Disney Plus. Okay, cool. Um, Nice one. Excellent picks, guys. An excellent Spurs chat too. Um, That was episode 22 of season two of Hometown Glory. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, Please, 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 please be Chelsea Spurs, please. We haven't asked much for you this season, but that would be so nice. So thank you in advance. Um, Billy, see us home, please. Up the Spurs. (laughs) 